Welcome to the Hughes of Leadership podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us? And how do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like Hughes vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different Hughes depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we're engaging. What Hughes are you using today? And which will you seek to develop? I'm your host, DJ Menifee, Chief Enrollment Officer at Susquehanna University, and also the Chief Impact Officer for Menifee Duarte Consulting Group. And I look forward to diving into our Hughes of Leadership conversation with our guest. As a reminder, season one is focused on people of influence, specifically those that have had a major influence on my leadership lens and philosophy. To my audience today is uh, a blessing uh, to introduce our next guest. He's recognized as a thought leader, uh, not only in terms of in general, but also in the change of education's landscape. Dr. Angel Perez, who currently serves as the CEO of NACAC, the National Association for College Admissions Counseling. Welcome to the show, Angel. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me, DJ. And as a, a note to our guests as well, I always want to highlight why uh, I have reached out to uh, our guests and in this case, reached out to Angel uh, to serve uh, on this podcast and to contribute and to share his leadership journey. And, and one of the things that has helped me um, as a leader in seeing this on a day-to-day basis through some interactions I had with Angel as I served on the NACAC Board of Directors was seeing his ability to cast a vision. Um, again, a part of thinking about leadership is the vision casting metric, right? And the ability to look long-term, but also in, in a similar vein, being able to keep the team and other leaders he's collaborating with focused on the North Star or the end goal. So kind of having those uh, moments of, of not only uh, check-in, but also reflection. Um, and so those experiences that I've seen live and in action in your journey transitioning into the CEO role uh, have been huge for me in thinking about how I uh, contribute to vision casting, not only in leading my institution, uh, collaboratively speaking, but also in how I help contribute to leading my enrollment division here at Susquehanna. So I just wanted to make sure you knew that and to, again, say thank you. Well, thank you, DJ. That's actually very kind. And as a note, I just want you to know we really miss you on the board. <laughs> well, I miss that time as well. And, and in some of the conversations I've had with uh, obviously current members on the board that I cross paths with, um, I miss them. Uh, they've shared uh, similar thoughts that they miss my presence. But uh, one of the things I remember is knowing that the goal was to leave it in better hands um, than when I transitioned um, and knowing that that next crop of leaders would would help take NACAC to the next level. Um, and I'm, I'm super excited about the direction. I am too. Fantastic. So, so listen, we had a chance to connect briefly uh, to start thinking through, hey, what, like, what hues uh, would Angel want to discuss with our audience? What hues would he want to unpack? Uh, and I'm super excited about unpacking these with our audience today. Uh, and so I'll go ahead and, and start with uh, the first hue of sorts. Um, and so the, the first hue that that we discussed was was leading with optimism. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure that we get a chance for the audience to get a sense of well, what does Angel mean by leading with optimism? Um, and then also maybe to unpack that a little bit about how that shows up in your day to day work as a leader and as a CEO. Yeah, so I'm actually really passionate about this, that I would always put this as number one. Um, I think it's really important when you are a leader to 
always be optimistic about the future, despite what challenges you have, because the reality is no matter what role you take on as a leader, there is going to be a challenge. I actually say to my staff here, if if we were to strip away all of our fancy titles, we would all have one title and it would be chief problem solver. Like every day, there are problems that are brought to us as leaders and we have to solve them. But how do you do that in a way that's optimistic? And I I guess, DJ, in, in you know, I I uh, was honored by what you said about your time on the board. You you were on the board during a very interesting time in NACAC's history um, and saw how I tried to lead with optimism. I think the board did an excellent job of leading in optimism. And the example I'll use is that during the year 2020 and 2021, uh, the association was facing a global pandemic, a financial crisis, racial reckoning in America, a reduction in force. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And what always kept me up at night is how do I inspire the staff to keep going? And by the way, to pivot, do things differently, to take on a new vision of an organization, while at the same time, I know that everything around them in their home, in the world, doesn't feel good right now. And so part of what I knew I had to do is help them see what the other side of this could look like while also being very realistic about our challenges, right? And I think that's a very careful needle to thread, but such an important role that leaders have to play. Be very realistic, be honest, be transparent. These are our challenges. This is what we're facing. However, I am optimistic about the future. I can see the other side. Let me help you see what that could be and then bring people along through the process. Um, One of my favorite uh, books about leadership is actually by Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Disney. Disney. Again, he stepped down as CEO and he came back as CEO. Um, And he has a whole chapter on leading with optimism because he says no one wants to be led by a pessimist. And I absolutely agree. I appreciate you shedding some light there. And, and, you know, one of the things that made me think about is, is oftentimes when we're talking about leadership, we may be talking about it from our person and how we're casting it out to, to those that we're responsible for leading, those that are in our care, those that are in our charge. And so obviously in in thinking through leading with optimism, you're showing and delivering and always showing up while keeping reality at bay, that optimism with your team. My question as a follow up is, is what gives you the optimism? Who in your life or or what resource uh, helps you stay optimistic separate from maybe the, the the energy that you may derive directly from your direct reports or from the board? Like what helps you stay optimistic as well? Yeah, I think part of it, I, there's a lot of different reasons. I will be really transparent with you, DJ. I call myself a trained optimist. I don't know that I grew up as an optimist. Um, and that has to do with my background. I grew up poor in the South Bronx, in the projects. Lloyd. I mean, you know, there were just lots of challenges in my life. And oftentimes it felt like, why, right? Like, why is all of this happening to me? But I think as I got older, you can certainly be trained to remember that despite all of the challenges in the world, there's also so much goodness. And I think through education, through training, um, there's just been a lot of work that I have done personally to become a trained optimist. Um, And I think also it's the inspiration that I have had. I feel very fortunate, like you, DJ, I have spent most of my career on college campuses and working with young people. And that just gives you such an energy. And one of the things that I loved about being on campuses, and I still feel it it today, because I mentor young people to this day, 
is they just seem to have this hope for the future. Um, and they always remind me that as adults, we're probably getting it wrong and the next generation is going to do it better than we did. And so that gives me an incredible amount of optimism. And I actually see that in my younger staff too. You know, we, we have some younger members here on the NACAC staff who recently graduated from college. Um, and I watch them every day, the buzz, the energy that they bring to the job. And I just, I, I'm extremely optimistic about the future because I know they'll be in charge. Thank you for, for reflecting on that one as well. And so um, I want to transition to to what I would call the gym, which is number two. Um, <laughs> and this one, I, I really was excited to, to just kind of dive into. Um, it is people will support what they help build. And so again, I'll, I'll pause and let you reflect on that and how that shows up in your day to day, what you mean by it. Um, and I'm likely going to have a follow up question or two just to right. think about a little further. Well, actually, this is related, DJ, to what you said in the beginning of the podcast um, around setting a vision. I think where many leaders go wrong is that they set a vision, but they fail to include lots of different constituencies to help build the path to that vision. Um, and what I've learned in the time in my career, and I think part of this has to do with the kinds of institutions that I've worked at. Like you, I spent most of my career in higher education, most of the general public does not realize that that is a shared governance system. So it is very rare that a university president or a vice president like you makes a decision on your own, right? You have to gather as much information as you can, and you're, you're, you become an astute politician on these campuses. And that has been very helpful to me in my role here at NACAC, which is also a shared governance system. Um, and so I fundamentally believe that if you are going to be successful in carrying out a vision, you need to bring as many diverse voices as possible to the table. And you need to think through who are all the players for whom this decision is going to have impact and try to have representation from that. So, you know, how often, DJ, do you see on the news, a new CEO comes onto an organization and within a day, they lose faith from their staff, right? It's usually because they've made a decision and never asked the question, how is this going to impact other people? So I'm a firm believer that people will support what they help build. And, and Angel, my follow-up, and I'm curious on your thoughts, I'm hopeful the audience is just as curious, is, is there a difference between, in your mind and how you approach it, uh, between having the diverse set of voices help contribute to the vision itself versus having a diverse set of voices contribute to bringing the vision to fruition? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to clarify. I think it's both. So, again, a, a leader can't come into an organization and say, here's the vision. Here's where we're going. I think you you obviously need to take time and listen and learn and help understand the history, respect the history, and then build the future. But an example that I would give is when I arrived at NACAC as CEO, I went on a listening tour, a virtual listening tour. Of course, we were in a pandemic, but really listening to all the different constituencies and, and our membership is extremely diverse around the country in the world and trying to find themes across all of those different conversations that I had around where people felt the organization needed to go. And that fed right up to the board of directors, which then fed, you know, onto the membership with bylaw votes and things like that. So, you know, I think that was my version at NACAC, among many, many others. I've done a lot of listening in terms of how did I include people in setting the vision and the direction. Um, and then once we started to 
do things that were impacting that vision. So once we started to make changes around governance, or once we wanted to create new programs, then we went back and we asked some of those people, come back and advise us on how to do this. Tell us what the roadblocks might be. And I do want to be clear, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be happy with the end product. In fact, most people probably will not be um, because they may feel like you missed something or but you you at least have included as many voices and made the best decision you can with the resources that you had. Well, I appreciate you weighing in on that, not only in terms of how they're different, but they're also alignment between the notion of casting the vision with shared voice uh, or should I say building it and then seeking out the pathways to actually build towards it and how that can kind of be shared. I also appreciate you kind of going back a little bit in time and reflecting on uh, the variance and how you had to navigate the listening tour because of the pandemic um, and thinking through the potential challenges for leaders when trying to be inclusive during a time where there was so much uncertainty, there was so much difference in how we engaged uh, the ability to have the traditional uh, quote unquote water cooler conversation uh, turned into uh, a glass of water over Zoom of sorts. And so just <laughs> trying to navigate that, I appreciate you shedding light on what that looked like for you uh, during that time period. So our last one that we want to transition to um, and again, I'm only going to give kind of the, the initial reference to it. I'm going to let you kind of walk it out as if we're dancing to it for the audience. Uh, but the last few for our listeners today uh, is ABCD. So ABCD. all I put in notes in for it was saying, let's go. What is ABCD? <laughs> so ABCD means always be connecting dots. And it's something that I say to my team here, the board of directors at NACAC talks about. And what that means is that when you communicate with your audiences, whether that be your staff or your membership or your students or whoever your constituency is, Always make sure that if you are communicating a decision or you are communicating a new venture, a new program, that you tell people the why and you bring into the story the history of how you got there. I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of leaders do today is they will send an email out about here's the new initiative we have or, for example, Human resources will send out, you know, here's a new program that we have without actually giving the history that there was a committee at the institution that met about it, that this actually goes back two years. Connecting those dots for people is so critically important. And so often we take it for granted. And I think we can't connect enough dots. And so a perfect example is um, when I first arrived here at NACAC, I would want to send something out. And, you know, a lot of my staff said, these emails are too long and it gives too much history. We told the membership that last year. And I would say they don't remember that last year. And so we're going to have a lot of members who are questioning, why are you doing this and helping people to understand the history behind it? Again, it doesn't mean everyone's going to be happy with your decision, but it's really important that you bring people along. And so for me, I'm a big dot connector. Um, and I always feel that as you are trying to bring people along, um, that you need to make sure that they understand where all of this came from. And it sounds really simple, DJ, but I can't tell you how many leaders I have personally worked for or have observed um, in my working environments where they haven't led with the why and as a result had a lot of backlash. Yeah, and I can imagine um, not only in terms of thinking through for the NACAC organization and the membership constituency, that it's also grown 
And so yes. when you think about how much the membership has grown, I believe it's up towards, you know, 26,000 members during that time, you're also introducing new people to the organization. So not only would uh, you have members who may not have remembered what was communicated to them six, 12 months ago, you also have those that are new to uh, the membership, new to engagement with the organization, and they may not even have any historical context. They're all building from kind of ground zero. So I definitely appreciate you shedding that that light there. So audience, we've had three amazing hues, right? So we've talked about leading with optimism. We've talked about people support what they help build. Uh, and we also talked about ABCD, always be connecting dots. Um, as we transition um, kind of in the, in the latter phase of this conversation, uh, I always want to ask our guests one question, but it's an either or, right? So A, um, have you been exposed to kind of a new framework of leadership? Um, I know we both spent a lot of time reading. Uh, if, if our audience could see us, we're both sitting next to our book collections. Uh, <laughs> but have you been exposed to something new that hasn't really been a part of, of your, your leadership philosophy? Uh, or is there one you're willing to kind of pull down the barrier uh, and, and share through a lens of, of, of humility with the audience to say, hey, in all the themes that I may feel like I'm strong in, here's the one that, that I've often struggled with. Uh, it's a work in progress, but I continue to put effort into it each day. Yeah, I think I'm going to um, go with the the struggle because I think, DJ, one of the, the opportunities you're presenting here with a podcast like this is humanizing leaders. And I think it's really important for people to know we don't have all the answers. You and I are sitting here. If people could see us, they would see all of our books. We read a lot, but it's also because we're curious and we don't have all the answers yet, right? We are evolving or becoming, as Michelle Obama would say. Um, and so I think it's important to also share the things you struggle with. And, and for me, I was trying to figure figure out how to define this, but the way I'll describe it is I still struggle with finding the perfect middle. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've talked about leading with optimism and people will support what they help build and bringing people together and asking as many questions. Well, what happens after that is you get a lot of information. And when you lead large, complex organizations with really diverse voices, and in my case, for example, I report to a board. There are various different volunteer leadership groups, I, you know, dozens of staff members. And every group has a different opinion about actions that I should take or direction that the organization should go. And I still struggle with what is the what is the right middle, if you will. And I, I was actually thinking about this in preparation for the podcast. That is probably something I will struggle with for the rest of my life, um, because in many ways we got into this work of education because we want to help people. We want to please people. We want to make sure that um, people are satisfied. But I realized that when you take on these roles, um, you're often going to be getting conflicting advice. So what leads me today um, is listening humbly as much as I can, gathering as much information as I can, getting as many voices when I need to make a decision. Um, but I will say that in the end, leaders need to remember it's their decision. Um, and so what leads me also is kind of touching base with my moral compass every time we need to make a decision, you know. Um, and I will tell you and I will be humble in admitting that there are times, not frequent, but there are times when I make the opposite decision of what I have been advised to do, because I always 
go home and I think about it and I go, in the end, I need to sleep at night and feel good about my moral making decisions. Um, so I would also say, trust your gut as a leader. Um, and that's a muscle that's used over time. Um, but it is a struggle. And I don't know if that resonates with you, DJ, in the role. You also have so many different constituencies in your ear. But in the end, you have to live with the decision you make. Uh, it resonates, but I'm, I'm also here taking mental notes. Um, I, I truly believe that uh, not only in terms of our guests, this is an opportunity for me selfishly to just continue to learn um, and understand how to approach leadership. Um, leadership is hard. Um, mm-hmm. Leadership is very challenging. And it's 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 one of those things where you never feel like you can reach perfection. You know, you referenced curiosity earlier. And so, you know, in terms of thinking through those pieces, uh, I, too, can recall and reflect on instances where uh, I've had to sleep on it for multiple days. Um, yeah. And is it in alignment with my ethical foundation of who I am and how I want to show up in this world? Um, is it in alignment with how I want my team or my division or my organization to be seen and recognized and considered in this world? I think the other piece to that is, is I oftentimes am thinking through proactively, how do I communicate with my team where I am in the decision making process? So they have some sense of how much their voice may or may not be considered because of where I am. So there are times when I'll present an initiative or a topic and I'll say, hey, I'm 60 percent of the way there. There's a lot of wiggle room. Um, I understand that 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 you two, based on your background in student financial services or X, Y or Z, uh, you've got some additional lens on policy that you can contribute. And so that may help shape the rest of the 40 percent. There are other instances where I'm like, hey. I have to turn this in tomorrow. It just popped on the radar 24 hours ago. I'm 95% there. Here's why I'm here. Here's the data that I used to inform my decision. Here's the anecdotal experiences. I still want you to weigh in, but I also want you to know that that I'm, I'm pretty close to kind of finalizing that decision. Um, and so that's kind of where that piece is. I do have a question for you, and it goes back to the reference to the middle. Mm. And separate from the middle and thinking through the lens of decision-making, I want to pick your brain um, because this is also something that um, as I've been able to observe you as a leader, I've thought more about. Uh, And it's, does the middle also have anything to do in your mind with pace, right? Because as a leader, you, you cast the vision um, and then that vision has kind of this this map that we're thinking in terms of, OK, when do we anticipate getting there? How long do we anticipate this taking? Um, and so how does that work in terms of the middle, in terms of what's too fast, what's too slow, what's the right pace for the folks I'm trying to bring along the journey? Yeah, I love that you asked that question because now I get two things that I struggle with. See, I snuck that in on you. Um, You asked me for one thing I struggle with. Two, um, I would say the greatest criticism I've ever had from my supervisors, all of whom I loved, um, including a university president, has always been you move faster than most people. And and sometimes you have to slow down. And I I have learned that lesson the hard way, I think, um, because what I realized is part of keeping people inspired and leading with optimism is also moving at a pace that is realistic, um, where people can feel they can achieve goals and mile markers. Um, And the other piece is making sure that we celebrate successes along the way. I think oftentimes leaders, you know, they're just waiting to get to the final 
final goal, but not realizing that the final goal is probably years away and we need to celebrate those mile markers along the way. Um, so I would say that is something that I continue to struggle with. Um, and I would say actually at NACAC has been the place where I have finally, I, you'll be happy, DJ, probably this year, I finally said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to press pause a little bit on the, on the pace of change, understanding that one, my team is exhausted, but two, that I have to bring our membership. I have to bring our leadership along. Um, so there is, that's a really, really important point. So I'm glad you brought it up. Can I add one last thing to this whole um, decision-making conversation? It was another aha moment that I just had. Um, one of my, besides the moral compass, besides really getting as many voices in your head, the other um, strategy I always use, and I credit this strategy to Danny Meyer, who is a huge restaurateur and a mentor of mine. Um, he has a great book called Setting the Table. Read it if you haven't. And one of the things he always says is in moments of crisis or in moments of decision making, one of the questions you want to ask yourself is, how do I want this moment to be remembered? And oftentimes it helps you look out into the future and get away from the crisis of the moment. So many times where I have been in a really difficult situation where I'm like, well, I could go left, I could go right, I'm not really sure. Besides checking in my own gut, doing the moral compass check, you know, trying to listen to all the voices I have around me, also, I sort of zoom out to a year or two from now and go, what do I want people to remember from this moment, especially if it's a difficult, controversial decision? And oftentimes it actually sways my decision making. So it's a great question just to pause and ask yourself when you're making difficult decisions as a leader. Wow, you heard it here first. Uh, not only did he get a, he sneak in a bonus one, uh, which I <laughs> charge him uh, all time for a Mountain Dew for <laughs> uh, but just think through, uh, audience, the the gems that we were able to get today in terms of leadership hues. Um, again, I'll reflect on the leading with optimism and its role in the leadership ethos, uh, knowing that people uh, become inspired and, and feel empowered to contribute to what they help build um, and bring forth uh, to know and think through kind of, you know, the, the pieces uh, around always be connecting the dots. And then also thinking through the pieces that as leaders, we're never there. We've never made it. Uh, we're not perfect. And we have these areas that we continue to try to um, not only build our competency in, uh, but to, to, to emerge stronger uh, over time. And so I appreciate Angel's willingness to unpack not only this notion of trying to identify what the right middle is, not only in terms of decision making, but also in terms of reflecting on it in pace to contribute to thinking through kind of this moral compass. Um, to contribute to think through, um, you know, the references to leadership orientation through uh, his reference of, of Danny Meyer. Uh, I also, as soon as he, he referenced it, again, you all can't see it, but I have the book behind me. Uh, <laughs> and so really thinking through how we want each moment to, to be remembered, um, in addition to the impact that it would have, which goes back to uh, a piece that Angel shared earlier. Um, as we close, Angel, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of your time. I'm very appreciative of you leading an organization that is near and dear to my heart and so many of our peers uh, who may or may not be audience members uh, of this session, but also in terms of your willingness, uh, not necessarily uh, that you signed off on it, but to be a mentor to me in what leadership looks like, um, not just in the times where things are going as planned as according to the vision, 
but also in times of challenge and controversy, uh, also in times when everybody isn't uh, agreeable to and is in support of the decisions that you have to make um, as a CEO and as a leader. And so just thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, and I'm hopeful that while I'm no longer on the board, uh, that I will still be able to pick your brain um, throughout this leadership journey as well. You have my number, DJ. So we are attached for life. And thank you, by the way, for for sharing this platform, because, again, you will you will not know how many lives it will touch um, and hopefully how many leaders we're cultivating along the way. So thank you for doing this. Sounds good. So to our guests, as you transition to work or home from work, as you head into lunch or you're transitioning in between meetings, as you transition in professional development time you have for yourself each day, each week, and as you transition between work and time with your loved ones, let's reflect on and consider incorporating the hues in our lives that we've heard about today. Thanks for tuning in to the Hues of Leadership podcast. And remember to ask yourself, what hues will I use today and which ones will I seek to develop? Thank you. Thank you.